Okay, I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, today I'm going to finish a series I started long ago on the Magic Invitational, Magic Slash Duelist Invitational. So this is the fifth and final podcast on the topic. Um, one of the things I really want to do with this podcast is give a sense of history to the game. Um, and the Invitational holds a, a special place in my heart. Um, I'll talk about that a little more today. But anyway, uh, in the previous four podcasts, I talked about the first nine Invitationals, but there are two more. So we're going to talk about number 10 and number 11, and then I'm going to explain what happened to the Invitational. <laughs> it's, it's a tearjerker. Okay, um, so let's start with number 10. So number 8 and number 9 were held in Los Angeles at something called E3. So see if I remember this correctly. E3 stands for the Electronic Entertainment, the Electronic Entertainment Expo. Um, and we had started going there, uh, we were, uh, as of number seven, we were on Magic Online, because they were, they were the ones that were footing the bill, uh, and we were trying to fi- figure a way to, to use it effectively, and it came up with the idea that it might be a good promotional thing to do at E3 to have a live event. Um, and we were one of the first people actually to do a live event at E3, now more people have done that. Anyway, so for three years, it was, it was successful the first year, successful the second year, uh, so we did it for the third year. Though each year was slightly less successful because people were used to it from the previous year. It was a little less novel. Um, so the third year, um, we were in Los Angeles. And let me go- walk through the formats. So it was uh, May 10th through the 12th, 2006. Okay, so there are five formats. First, there is duplicate sealed. So every single non-online invitational that I had ever run had a, an event called Duplicate Sealed. I've talked about this before. Um, basically, the thing about Duplicate Sealed is everybody gets the exact same sealed pool. They're, it's pre-made. It's a designed pool of cards. Uh, and so rather than getting a random pool, it's a, a, a pool that's designed, meaning A, everyone gets the exact same pool, and B, it, we carefully sort of build things into it. So there's a lot of, oh, what did I get? Normally in Sealed, there's only like one or two ways maybe you want to build your deck. But in Duplicate Sealed, we give you a lot of choices. Uh, there's combos built in. There's just a lot of things to make consider what way to go. The other thing that's really interesting about Duplicate Sealed is not only do you have the cards, but because everybody has the cards, part of building your deck is building your deck to the known metagame. You know what everybody has to choose from, so you understand the metagame. So you have to build your deck not just to be the best deck it can be, but the best deck it can be in the environment where everybody has the same cards as you. Um, I think it's very, very skill testing. It's... it's uh, normally, Sealed has a lot of uh, a high luck factor to it. It's a lot of randomness, and this kind of takes all the randomness out. And uh, there's a lot of skill. I don't think people think of Sealed as being super skillful, but Duplicate Sealed is. So it turned out for this event, I was really busy. I think I was on three teams, and I made mention on the phone to somebody that I didn't know if I'd have time to build the Duplicate Sealed pool. And Aaron Forsyth heard me, and Aaron said, I'll do it. Uh, and so Aaron built it. So I built all the previous Duplicate Seals, but Aaron built this one, uh, and he did a fun job. Um, next, we had Auction of the Geniuses. So in number six, which was in Cape Town, I'm sorry, in Sydney, which was number five, we had started doing something called um, Auction of the Champions, where it was all uh, decks from Pro, Pro Tour and world-winning decks. Then the following year in Cape Town, we did what we called Auction of the People, which we did every year since, where the audience would build decks based around some criteria. Um, this year we went a little bit different. Uh, it was called Auction of the Geniuses, and the idea was that um, instead of having the audience build it this year, we went out and got 17 top deck builders. In fact, here they are. Jamie Wakefield, 
Akira Asahara, Alan Comer, Andrew Cunio, Mike Flores, Tsuyoshi Fujita, Mark Gottlieb, Itaru Ishida, Jay Moldenhauer Salazar, Frank Karsten, Masahiro Kuroda, Stephen Menendian, Chris Millar, Olivia Ruel, Dan Paskins, Chris Bakula, John Rizzo, and Andrew Sullivan. So these were famous, famous deck builders. Um, some of them were former pros, some of them were not. Some of them were more known just for, for deck building and writing about it. Uh, anyway, we had 17. The reason there's always 17 decks is so the final person... Oh, the way it works is, in an auction, is uh, you start by bidding a certain amount of hand, hand, starting hand size, starting life size. I think by now what we had done was we had raised the starting. So the first bid, instead of being 7 cards, 20 life, I think was 8 cards, 25 life to give some of the bad decks a little bit extra room. Then, so let's say you start by going, okay, I bid 8 cards, 25 life. The next person must bid lower, 8 cards, 23 life, or pass. Now, cards is worth more than life. So let's say someone bids down to 8 cards, 16 life. You can then bid 7 cards, 20 life. Uh, But anyway, you have to either bid lower or you have to pass. And we keep going until everybody's seated but one person. Then that person gets it at the, the last bid they made. We keep doing that until everybody's bid on a deck that has a starting life, hand size and life total. And then when you play each other in your rounds, you play starting with that chosen, um, chosen handicap. Um, anyway, uh, this was fun. There were a lot of fun decks. I know Antoine Ruel, who would go on to win this event, I, I believe he played Chris Bakula's deck. And Chris Bakula had a fun deck that was built around former um, invitational cards, you know, former winners' invitational cards. Okay, next, we had Mirage Visions Draft. So uh, this was on Magic Online. We had started doing this thing in Magic Online. When Magic Online began, uh, the first set available was Invasion. And so later we went back and started doing old sets so that people could have a chance to get the old cards, and we would let people draft those sets. So at the time, I'm pretty sure Mirage and Visions were what were available. Um, Because this was a Magic Online event, we were trying hard to pick things that showcase some of the things you could do in Magic Online. Also, we thought it was a lot of fun to do you know, an old-school draft. Um, Mirage and Visions really was the first set that R&D really consciously designed it to be drafted. Um, I mean, people drafted Ice Age, but that was that was a painful experience. I mean, I like Ice Age, but it was not really designed to be drafted. Okay, next, Block Party. Uh, block Party was a constructed format. We always like to do... Um, we always do two limited and two constructed, and the last one floats. Um, but we like to have stuff that... Uh, a certain number of events that the audience... Um, has a chance to show what they can do deck-building-wise. And Block Party said, okay, you may build any block deck you want. The only rules are if a card is banned in its block, it's banned in this format. Um, and so people could pick whatever block they wanted. And, and you know, you could... If, if you wanted to play a control deck, well, maybe you wanted to play Ice Age block, because Ice Age block has, um, you know, uh, Force of Will and, and Arcane Denial and stuff. Or maybe you want to play a burn deck. Maybe you want to play Tempest, because Tempest had a lot of good burn cards. Or, you know... Depending on what you wanted to do, or, or you know, Tempest also had a good weenie block deck. I mean, you, you wanted to pick a block deck that you think would fit well in the environment in which everybody's playing block decks. Finally, we had an event called Duplicate... Sorry, Decadent Sealed. Two sealed events. Decadent Sealed was... Normally, when you have a sealed, you get... I don't know. Um, normally, you get like six packs. What is six packs? So, uh, 84 cards, I think, is what you normally get in sealed. Well, these players got over 400 cards, I believe. Um, they, they got a giant amount of cards. Enough so that it wasn't even... On some level, it didn't feel like limited. It felt like low-level constructed. You get so many cards. Um, and so, anyway, it was, it was definitely an event 
we were trying to find something weird and fun we could do that Magic Online could support. We didn't have the ability to code anything, so we had to be a little inventive of how we can come up with a fun event that would work specifically for Magic Online. So anyway, those were our five events. So the finals ended up being Antoine Ruel of France versus Jeff Cunningham of Canada. Uh, Antoine Ruel uh, is a, currently in the Hall of Fame, a very, very good French player. Um, Jeff Cunningham, also a good player, though, and not in the Hall of Fame, but very, very well known for his writing, uh, and he definitely was a very fun person. I, I think he was, not 100% on this, one of the slots that was available is R&D um, was allowed to pick somebody. It's called R&D Pick, pick whoever we wanted. I think we picked Jeff Cunningham. I think he was our pick. So we were very proud when he made the finals. Uh, now, he did not win. Uh, Antoine Noel won. Uh, and the card he made was called Ranger of Eos. It was three and a white for a 3-2. When it enters the battlefield, you can get two, up to two creatures that, with a converted mana cost of one or less out of your library and put it in your hand. So uh, in Fifth Dawn, we had done a card called... What was it called? Um, uh... Uh, tink, uh, what is it called? Uh, it's a card that lets you go get artifacts that only cost one or less. Uh, tink, trinket, ma- trinket Mage. Um, and this was kind of a, a Trinket Mage for creatures. Um, and it ended up being a very good card. It saw, definitely saw a lot of tournament play. Um, it was very good. Uh, one of the tricks about it is converted mana cost one. There were some creatures that either had additional costs when you played them, even though their, their converted mana cost was one, or they had X in their cost, and that uh, is. Uh, an X, XW, for example, is a converted mana cost of one, even though uh, you can't play it for more than one. So there were some tricks you could use with that. Okay, now we get to Invitational number 11. The last the last dance, the last Invitational. Okay, so let me explain. In order to explain this one, there's some significance to this one. Let me go back and talk about early the early days of uh, my time at Wizards. Okay. Um, when I first got to Wizards... I had been a gamer my whole life. I played a lot of games. I owned a, a bookshelf full of games. But when I got a Wizards, what I learned was I had a lot left to learn. And Richard Garfield was an awesome game teacher. So one of the things that Richard really introduced me to was what we, call, we now refer to as German board games. So at the time, now, there's a lot of importing of German board games. You can get them in, you know, translate in English. Um, but at the time, if you wanted to get a German board game, you had to get it from Germany. They were in German, and, you know, Richard would teach us how to play and then, like, would have to, like, explain the rules because the rules were in German. Um, in fact, uh, Settlers of Catan, I first learned to uh, play it with Richard. It was uh, Siedler von, von Catan, I think. Uh, we called it Siedler. That's what we called it. Um, and that was just, you know, we knew it by the German name because that's, that's what the box said. Um, anyway, Richard would always pick up his German games at Essen. So Essen Spiel is the largest uh, game convention in the world. Um, Essen is a place in Germany. Spiel means game. Um, so it was a game fair. And Richard always would talk so highly. Richard would go every year to Essen. And I was just, I really wanted to go to Essen. But at the time, I was low man on the totem pole. I was one of the new guys. And only a few people got to go to Essen. So I, I never was able to get, get to Essen. And so on my to-do list, my bucket list, my gamer bucket list, was one day I wanted to go to Essen. Okay, flash forward. Um, we were trying to figure out what to do with the Invitational. So what, one of the things, uh, just sort of a little omen of things to come here, is the Invitational was having a little problem figuring out its identity. I mean, it was the all-star game. Everyone understood that. But what exactly was it trying to highlight? What was it doing that nothing else was doing? And one of the things that R&D has definitely played around with was were we supposed to be using it like 
to make it spectator-friendly, where we're supposed to be inviting some people that might not be the absolute top of the pro tour, you know, that, that might be people that were famous magic people without necessarily being top pros. Um, also, um, we decided that we needed to, to do something a little different with it. Um, we learned from E3 that it was a very good way to get focal point. And so we were going to Essen, and they really wanted... Someone decided that they wanted to get some attention at Essen. And so we said, well, at E3, we did this. It got a lot of attention. What if we did this at Essen? And, and someone else said, you know, someone came to me and said, Mark, would you be okay having the Invitational at Essen? And I'm like, okay. Uh, ding, ding, ding. Absolutely. So I was, I was excited. I was going to Essen. I, I went to all the Invitationals. I was like, okay. My baby, finally my chance to go to Essen. So I'm very excited. Um, now, the, the thing that was, that was a little controversial about this one was we, there were a few people that got invited that were not top-tier players, two, two in particular. One was, so we did a thing where we invited a top writer. Um, and so what we did was we picked some writers that were, or writers might have the wrong word, but uh, people who interact with the public in, in, through uh, social means. Turn, turns out the guy who got this invite wasn't a writer as much as he was a, a video director. Um, but anyway, we, we took people that were people who did a lot to promote the game, and we used to always invite, it was, it was called the writer slot, although it wasn't always necessarily a writer, but it was somebody who really was uh, a cheerleader for magic and would, you know, make constant, uh, either write an article every week or do a video every week or, or do something that really was promoting the game. Um, and so we were a little looser in who we picked for the candidates for people to vote on. So one of the people we picked was Evan Irwin. So Evan Irwin, at the time, was well-known for doing The Magic Show, which was a weekly video all about magic. Um, Evan would go on to work for Star City. I think at this point he might not even have worked for Star City yet. Um, but he was, I mean, I think, I think the, um, his show was broadcast in Star City, but that he, was, he eventually would go work for them uh, and be a major player there. But um, at this point, I think he was just doing his videos, uh, the, um, the Magic Show. And... Um, Anyway, what we did is we asked each of them to produce a small video to show, to explain to the audience why we should vote for them. And everybody turned in really fun videos. I remember, I think it was Rizzo that did like a Rocky parody. And anyway, Evan did a very cute one. Uh, and Evan gets voted in. So Evan Irwin is voted in for the writer slot. There's a lot of controversy because this is the All-Star game. Evan, I don't know if he'd even played in a pro tour. I mean, Evan obviously played Magic for a long time, but he's, he's not a top pro. And there's a lot of complaints like, this is the All-Star game, what is Evan Irwin doing there? And we're like, look, you know, we're going to have the top players there. It's not like, you know, Evan's probably not winning the event, but, you know, a lot of people were going to turn in and see how Evan does playing against some of the top players. And we were trying to make the spectator friendly. Um, the other thing was R&D got a vote. Previous year, I think we'd voted in Jeff Cunningham. This year, uh, Vintage, did I mention? Oh, I've not done, I'm not talking about the format yet. Uh, one of the formats is Vintage, I'll get to that in a second. And so we decided to invite Stephen Menendian, who was... Probably the biggest cheerleader of the vintage format that Magic has ever had. Uh, he'd formerly won, once won the vintage uh, championship, and he just wrote about vintage and was passionate about it. In fact, he wrote books about it. In fact, he wrote a book about one card in vintage. He wrote a book all about Gush, playing Gush in vintage. That's some dedication. The entire book, chapters and chapters and chapters about playing the card Gush. Uh, which is funny because I'm the guy who made Gush, so I was always like, wow, that's quite the card. They could write a whole book about its use in one format, uh, which is impressive. Okay, so let's talk about the formats. Um, number one was Auction of the People, so we're back to the people. Uh, the deck this year is we had people build an alphabet deck. What an alphabet deck is, is you had to have at least 26 cards in your deck, one card starting with each letter of the alphabet. After that, um, 
you could have other, you know, you could have, if you had, once you had those 26 cards representing the 26 letters, you were then free to do other cards, do whatever you wanted, but you had to represent the 26 letters. Mostly what this meant is you had to go look at the troublesome letters like X and Q and figure out what your options were. Um, and that would sort of define where you could go. But we had lots and lots of very cool decks all over the board. It, it, it was definitely very cool. Next, we had Vintage. So Vintage is a format, probably of all the constructed formats played at Invitational, I think Vintage might have been the most played format. I mean, Vintage, maybe, maybe Standard. But we had a lot of Vintage. The reason we tend to do a lot of Vintage in the Pro Tour is it is hard to do Vintage at high-profile events, at premier events, because... The world, there's not enough of the cards that everybody has equal access to the cards. And it wouldn't be fair to have a Pro Tour where certain people coming just wouldn't have equal access. And so we've never done, um, I guess we, we did a side event long, long ago in the first year of the Pro Tour. But we never really did a Pro Tour event uh, on Vintage. Um, and the Invitational was nice because there's just 16 players. And, well, these 16 players, the best of the best, okay, they can get some access to, you know, they, they were able to get their hands on them. And so... Um, vintage, they loved playing Vintage. We loved showing it off. It was a format, it was a premier format where we could show it off. So anyway, we tended to play Vintage a lot. We were playing Vintage this year. We, like I said, we ended up inviting Stephen Menendi in to tie into that. Next, Cube Draft. Um, so this was early on. Cube, this is around the time the Cube was just starting to hit it off. Um, I mean, not that there weren't Cubes before this, but this is where Cubing started getting a little more high profile. So back in the day, um, at this point, most Cubes were what we now call high-octane cubes, which meant, you know, just full of really, really strong cards. That, like, here's the best cards Magic's ever played. And mix and match so you could build archetypes around them. But anyway, we got a cube deck. Uh, R&D for um, research purposes to make sure it was, it was good. We, we tested the cube. Uh, it wasn't... I didn't think of our cube. I think we got the cube from somebody else. Um, I don't remember who built this cube. But anyway, it was kind of just a best of the best. Um, then, the next format was Make Your Own Standard. So this was a format that I really, really, I, I had high hopes for this format. I, it was my hope that I would show it off the Invitational, and this would, like, get a life of its own and become a major player as a really fun, uh, constructed format. Now, it is kind of a cult format. There is definitely a following in this format. So the way it works is, the, the problem I was trying to solve is, I wanted to give people access to most of the cards in Magic. But when you give people to, access to old cards... Um, most formats give you access to all of the cards. So the problem is the, the power level just goes through the roof. So I said, what if I could give ac- people access to any card, but not every card? And the idea was, um, so I, I cut out the super early stuff because a lot of that's broken. So what we did is, choose your own standard says, do the following. You may pick any standard set from 5th edition forward, and you may pick two blocks. And the idea here is, that you could either take any standard deck from history, since there was a standard, you could take a standard deck, and it would be legal in this format, because standard is, uh, you know, two, I mean, from fifth forward, standard started around there, um, that any deck that was standard legal from fifth forward, I guess, was legal in this format. But you could get creative. You could go, oh, well, this for, this block and this block had a... Four, uh, theme that overlapped. I can mix these together and like, I think this core set. And we had a lot of people to build a lot of fun decks. And I remember, you, so you had everything from Ice Age block forward, everything from 5th forward with the exception of, I think Mercadian Masks and whatever was the current block that was not done yet, meaning there wasn't a full block's worth. Every other block got played in the set. In this format. And I was very, very happy. It, the, it was a super, super diverse, diverse format. Never caught on, but uh, anyway. Okay, next is Winston Draft. 
So Winston Draft is a format created by Richard Garfield. Um, originally, it was called uh, Let's Make a Deal. Let's Make a Deal Draft. So what happened was Richard loved making up drafts. It was one of his favorite things to do. And he liked making especially two-man drafts, two-person drafts. Um, so what he did was, uh, the way it worked is you had, you took a, you had a deck of cards, a, a deck of magic cards. Um, I think you took six packs worth. So you took out the lands, 84. Though this time the lands might not have been the packs, so maybe it was 90. But anyway, you shuffled it all together. And then what you did was you took, uh, you made three piles in front of the deck. So when you started, there were three piles that were each one card each. Uh, so pile A, pile B, pile C, and the, the, your magic deck, the library. Okay, look at pile A. And then either you took the card or you passed it. If you took it, you put it in your hand and replaced it with a card from the top of the library. If you passed it, you took a card from the top of the library and put it on top of it. So now pile A has two cards in it. Next, you go to pile B. Either you take the card in pile B or you pass. If you take it, it goes in your hand, and then you replace it. If you pass, you take a card from the top of the library and put it on top of it. So now pile B has two cards. Then you go to pile C, if you, if you, assuming you haven't picked up a card yet. You look at pile C. You either can take the card in pile C, or you can pass. If you take it, you replace it with a card from the top of the library. If you pass, you put an extra card on top of the top of the library. No matter what the card from the top of the library is going on it. Um, and then if you pass on C, you're forced to take the top card off the library. So what happens is the next person now looks at A. Now if A was passed... A is no longer one card. A is two cards. And so they have to decide whether to take the whole pile. You, you either take the whole pile or pass. Anytime you take the whole pile, it goes in your hand, and you replace it with one card. Anytime you pass, you take one card and put it on top. So what it has over time, you start uh, uh, the pile start getting bigger. So the idea of it's not interesting enough, you juice it until someone eventually takes it. And at the end, you each have whatever cards you took. Not necessarily an even number, because one person might have taken bigger piles. Um, Winston is a very fun skill testing format. Um, and not, it's interesting that you have limited information. You don't know everything your opponent has, but you know some of what they have because you've passed on piles that they've picked up. And so part of it is trying to figure out what that you value, what they value. You know, are you leaving behind something that might not be good for you, but be really good for them? So maybe you have to, you know, you have to draft it so they don't get it. Um, but anyway, we introduced Winston draft, um, and another reason that uh, we tend to do events like this or formats like this in the Invitational is Winston Draft takes a time. It's not a super fast draft. But in the Invitational, you know, we're running 15 events over three days. We have a little more time than you normally have. And so we were able to do that. Um, uh, and like I said, this was at Essen. So we, we were playing all day at Essen. In fact, we had tables set up and people could spectate. And it was, a, it was a pretty big deal. And by the way, Essen was awesome. It was, it was huge. It was like, I don't even know how many buildings. It was just like... I've been to Gen Con, which is pretty big, and I've been to Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con, which is pretty big. So it's bigger than both of those. Um, it was just huge. It was, and the thing that's really interesting is that in Germany, none of I explained this earlier, the reason the German board game is so um, has so many games is, in Germany, gaming is much like the movies. It's not In America, for example, you don't ask them, like, do you go to the movies? No, everybody goes to the movies. And maybe you see different kinds of movies. Maybe some people see comedies and others see dramas. But, hey, everybody sees the movies. Gaming is like that in Germany. Everybody games. All families games. It's not do you play board games. It's what kind of board games do you like. Uh, it's just part of the culture. And so because gaming is so popular, there's just a lot of... It's a very healthy market. So uh, there's a lot of German game designers. And then a lot of non-German game designers that design for the German market. Um... But anyway, that is why um, Essen is such a huge deal, which is it's a game convention in a place where gaming is 
is just something everybody does. So it's a very, very big event. A lot of people come to it. You see a lot of families. Uh, and the other thing that's awesome is the range of gaming in Germany. I mean, there's games for little kids up to games for, for adults that are all across the board. Games to play for families, games, everything. And there's physical games and all sorts of stuff. It's just amazing the number of games that you saw. And, the, and the, they really, really, one of the things the Germans, uh, they love sort of the setup of the games and a lot of neat flavor of what the game's about and where it takes place. And um, German games are also known for having little fancy pieces. Usually they have wood pieces. And anyway, it was a lot, I, I had a blast. I had a lot of fun um, going to Essen. Okay, so what happened at Essen? So uh, in the finals, we had Tiago uh, Chen uh, from Portugal versus Rich Hohen from Canada. So both of them had been pro-poor play, pro players. Um, I know that uh, Rich Hohen was known as being a, a limited specialist, if you will, although he did very well. And the finals were in three constructed events. We didn't play the limited events um, in the finals. So it came down to the final. Once again, for some reason, the finals and invitationals always go down to the last match. It's like if it's five things, it's three to two. If it's three, it's two to one. So this came down to the final. Um, they had played auction the people. They had played make your own standard. But in the end, it came down to vintage. And what mattered? How did the last invitational end? Kind of apropoly in vintage. It was death by poison. To make my heart proud. Um, so uh, yeah, Tiago got out some flash combo where he got out creatures that. I don't know if they were the slivers. or There's something that either were, had poisonous, or he can make poisonous, or... Uh, this is before um, Scarlet Mirrored, so there's no infect yet. Um, I think he used from... I think it was from... Um, uh, I think it's from um, Future Sight, because Future Sight had a little bit of poison in it, uh, and the slivers and such. So anyway, in fact, it might have been... It must have been a poison sliver kill. Um, anyway, so Tiago won. He made a card that you guys might all know named Snapcaster Mage. So Snapcaster Mage is one in a blue for a 2-1 creature with flash. Um, I think it's a human I think it's a human wizard, I believe. Uh, anyway, edge of the battlefield, you may flash back an instant or sorcery out of your graveyard. What that means is you may cast an instant you may exile an instant or sorcery out of your graveyard, you can cast it by paying its mana cost and then exile it. Um, so what happened was he made something different, and then I know he and Zach Hill had worked together to make this card. Uh, my one contribution was originally just cast an instant sorcery out of your graveyard, and I realized that we had flashback in the environment, which Tiago obviously didn't know. And so I suggested, oh, well, what if we just granted flashback? Um, and so we made that change. Uh, the one thing, the only thing I, I feel sad is, I, if we were making this card, it would have been red and not blue. Um, both red and blue can do this, and it's just a little more interesting in red. Red could use it. Older formats could make more use of it. And I wish I... The reason it's blue is Tiago asked for blue cards. We made it blue. I wish I had talked to Tiago and said, you know, one of the options is making this red. Would you like to make this red? I mean, he might have still wanted it blue. He made it blue in the first place. Probably he likes playing blue is why he made it blue. Um, but I, I, I should ask. I never asked. Okay. So now we've had Invitational 10. Invitational 11. Why, oh why, is there no Invitational 12? So... This is a complex story. Uh, so there were a bunch of things. Number one is I, I had spent a lot of time and energy sort of selling the Invitational outside the walls of Wizards that I, I really had tried to make something that I thought our spectators and the fans really enjoy, and they did. They embraced it. The Invitational was always a lot of spectators. People enjoyed it. People would try the formats out. 
and, and, and being at the Invitational became a badge of honor. The pros really, really cared. It was a big deal to come. Um, and so I... Um, the problem was that I hadn't carved a very good identity within the walls of Wizards. That early on, there were different people that kind of saw it like as Mark was throwing a party for a bunch of his friends and flying around the world. I'm like, no, no, it's... it's, it's you know, they used to tease me about it, and, and I, I, I took the jokes in stride, but I, underneath it was kind of... I don't think people really understood what he was doing. Um, and the last year in, in, in um, Essen, we were trying to sort of maybe mix it up a little bit and find ways to let it do something that other other events weren't doing. And um, But anyway, what happened was, what did it in was actually the downturn of Magic. Magic was had a period of time where we were... We were going down. We, our, our acquisition was going down. We weren't getting as many people, so we were slowly selling less. And um, there was some belt tightening because, uh, you know, when you make less money, you can spend less money doing things. Like, one of the nice things about Magic being successful is that that allows us to go to do a lot more things. And when we're not as successful, we have to cut back. And Chris Galvin, who's the head of Organized Play, called me up. He felt bad. Uh, I told the story before that Chris, once before, had taken the money away from it. But he said, look... I just can't, we don't have the money. Um, I, I, I have to, there's events I'm cutting that I, I are even less, you know, that it's hard to justify the invitation when I'm cutting events that I think have even more importance. And so he's like, I'm sorry, uh, I, Magic Online didn't have the money. So for once and for all, this time, the Magic Invitational actually was going to end. Um, and I was sad. I mean, one of the things when I think about the Invitational, when I go back and I realize is that um, if, you, if I stop and think about magic and say, okay, what are the things where I was given carte blanche, where someone said, Mark, you can do whatever you want. I can think of three things where pretty much I just did it. One was the Invitational. Another were the Unsets, Unglued in particular. I mean, Unhinged kind of followed what I'd done in Unglued. Uh, and then um, uh, the Great Designer Search. Uh, and in each of those cases, I really sort of said, okay, Let's do something fun. Let's do something that the spectators can enjoy. Let's do something that's really, that's different and really plays up the, the wackiness that is magic. Um, and the Invitational and the Unsets especially, like, I, I think it's me sort of saying, look, magic is many things. It's competitive. It's thought-provoking. It's, an, it's intelligent. It's strategic. But you know what? It's also fun. Magic is fun. That, that's one of the big... The, the thing that attracted me to magic... I mean, obviously, there's multiple things, and there's a lot of ego identification and deck building and getting to design your own game and all, all sorts of cool things that I loved. Um, but above all was... Like, when the dust settles, when I think back to magic and I think about what magic has done for me, ma- magic has done a lot of good for me. It has it it is paid me handsomely. It has given me my dream job. I met my wife. I mean, I've traveled the world. Ma- magic has been very, very good to me. Um, but one of the things that magic has given me is just a lot of laughs, a lot of fun time, a lot of just sheer, sheer joy. Um, and that one of the things that I, I think when I'm kind of given carte blanche to mess with magic, one of the things that I always think about is I just want it to be fun. I want to do stuff where people have fun. And the invitation was saying, you know what? There's no reason we can't do something competitive that isn't also fun. I believe the Invitational was highly, highly skill-tested. In fact, let me talk about the winners of the Invitational real quickly. Here are the 11 winners of the Invitational. Ula Rade, Hall of Fame. Darwin Castle, Hall of Fame. Mike Long, should be in the Hall of Fame. 
Chris Bakula should also be. He missed by a couple votes. Hall of Fame. John Finkel, Hall of Fame. Best that ever played. Kai Buda, Hall of Fame. Best that ever played. One of the two is the best. Other second. Uh, Jens Turen, Bob Marr, Hall of Fame. Terry So, Antoine Ruel, Hall of Fame. Thiago Chan. Those are good, good players, you know. Those are amazing players. And that the Invitational, while being fun and, 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 and fun for spectators, also was very skill-testing. Um, and that, that's an amazing list of people, you know. And I'm, I'm, so here are the cards they made. Uh, so Ula made Sylvan Safekeeper. Uh, these did not come on, they didn't come out of these order. These order, they won them. Darwin Castle made Avalanche Riders. Mike Long made Rootwater Thief. Chris Pakula made Meddling Mage. John Finkel made Shadow Mage Infiltrator. Kai Buda made Void Mage Prodigy. It's the one I forgot uh, last podcast. Bob Marr made Dark Confidant. Terry So made Rakdos Augur Mage. Antoine Ruel made Ranger of Eos. Tiago Chan made Snapcatcher Mage. And with the exception, I believe, of Rakdos Augur Mage, sorry, Terry, I believe all of these, the other ten, uh, I believe, have all been in a Pro Tour Top 8, most of which have been in a winning Pro Tour deck. These are some good cards. Um... Uh, and people always ask me, by the way, I'm almost to work, what are my favorite invitational cards? As a designer, um, I'll, I'll list my three favorite. Uh, they're, a lot, they're all good. They're all cool. I think they're a lot of fun ones. These are the three that speak to me as far as just what I enjoy as, as a designer. Um, number three is Snapcaster Mage. I, I wish it was red, but uh, it's a very, very fun card. Um, it's powerful. These are all powerful. Um, but it does a lot of neat things. There's a lot of cool interactions with the card. Um, number two, my favorite design is Meddling Mage. Um... This is Chris Pakula's card. Uh, I just like a lot, not only what it does and how much thought-provoking and, and, like, how you have to really think about what you want, but also what it does to the environment that how people build around it. I really like that people have to diversify what they're doing to protect against it. I think that's really cool. And my favorite design of all time, this one's a little biased, is that Dark Confidant, which is a Bob Marr's card. So Bob Marr, normally, when someone does an invitational card, um, if they want help, I always help them. But usually any help I give is, is kept mum. Um, that look, it's their card, uh, and so uh, Bob outed me though as helping him when he uh, talked about his card. Uh, so what had happened was Bob had turned something in we couldn't use, and so uh, at uh, Pro Tour Seattle as a team event, Bob and I between rounds he would tell me what he wants, I'd make a card, and then we we tweak. Like uh, he'd give notes, and, and we went back and forth with like five iterations until we finally got to Seattle uh, uh, to um sorry Dark Confidant, and. Bob said, I like it, I like it, just one thing. Could we take off, could we add May? And I'm like, no, you can't add May. Not at this cost. And it's not black, you know. And, and Bob years later said that he was very happy that I, I, I didn't let him take, you know, add May to it. That the card is much, much more fun if there's an element of risk to it. Plus, it allows us to push it a little more. Um, but anyway, uh, the Invitational, uh, one of the reasons that I, I've been trying to do these podcasts about history is I... I I want to leave a mark on, on, on sort of, I want to be the, one of the historians that sort of fills in the gaps of the game. So when people look back, like, I believe the game is going to outlive me. And I want people in the future to be able to look back and have some sense of what happened in the Invitationals. And that um, it was definitely made by me. Uh, I like to think of it as being, uh, if unglued is kind of my, my vision of a fun product that I would like to make, that... Um, the Invitational is my tournament format that I would love. I, I like the idea of something small enough that you knew every player and they were all names and you got to see them play each other. So I was a round robin. And that it just, I was trying to make something that was both fun, fun, fun for the spectators and lots of fun for the participants. And, you know, I, I believe in the 11 years the Invitational did that, we did that. That, that the players had a blast, that the audience had a blast. 
Um, I now people often ask, they go, "Will it ever come back? Is, is the Invitational truly dead? Might it like like a phoenix? Might it rise from the ashes?" And I don't, I don't definitively know the answer will be yes, but I like to hope and believe the answer will be yes. Only in that, I think it's a fun thing. It's something that magic really hasn't doesn't do. Um, I mean, I, the Plato Championship has elements of it. That's obviously a a uh, 16-person Invitational, but it doesn't have a lot of the weirdness that I, I think was a, a big part of the Invitational, um, which I think is important. So I, I hope someday the Invitational comes back. Uh, um, you know, uh, it would bring a smile to my face. But anyway, these podcasts have been a chance for you guys to get a glimpse to see, to see the weird formats and the winners and the cards and little stories of, of us traveling around the world. Because the Invitational, like I, I think I mentioned once before, um, it is because of the Invitational, Magic has taken me to every continent of the world, uh, bar Antarctica, which will be a toughie. Um, but the only time I ever went to South America was for the Rio Invitational. The only time I ever went to Africa was for the Cape Town Invitational. Um, and so it was... The Invitational is, like I said, is, is my baby. I have fond memories. I hope other people have fond memories. And uh, that, my friends, in a nutshell, is the Invitational. So I'm parking my car now, which means it's time for me to be making magic. Talk to you guys next time.